Let's hear now the word of God with open ears and open hearts, first in Spanish, then in English. Santiago, capítulo 2, versículos 14 al 17, nos dice, Hermanos míos, ¿de qué le sirve a uno alegar que tiene fe si no tiene obras? ¿Acaso podrá salvarlo esa fe? Supongamos que un hermano o una hermana no tiene con qué vestirse y carece de alimento diario y uno de ustedes le dice que le vaya bien, abríguese y coma hasta saciarse, pero no le da lo necesario para el cuerpo. ¿De qué servirá eso? Así también la fe por sí sola, si no tiene obras, está muerta. Thank you. Praise the Lord. And I'll be reading from James, the second chapter, starting in verse 14. And the word says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. Verse 16. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good, even the demons believe and shudder. Verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend." You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Amen. It's the word of God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you and we give you praise. Dios Santo, te damos gracias por esta mañana y esta palabra. And Lord, we just acknowledge that this morning we're coming from different spaces. Some of us today are coming very encouraged from what was just a wonderful week connecting to you, Lord. Others are coming a bit burdened, unsure of what this next week will bring. Lord, however it is that we find ourselves, Lord, we just bring our true selves before you, a true God. And we pray, Lord, that you would do a work in us. Make us new, Lord. This morning, would you speak to us by the power of your word. Dios Santo, háblanos hoy por medio del poder de tu santa palabra. Danos sabiduría, danos tu espíritu. Lord, fill us with wisdom, God. This wisdom from above. That you delight in pouring down on us, God. Lord, open our minds, open our hearts to know you more this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So personally, 
I love learning the origins of names and then how those names have actually developed over time. A mí me encanta los orígenes de los nombres. So, for example, here in our state of California, one of the major cities is the city of San Francisco. And many of us know, and even people that live in San Francisco know that it is the tech capital of the country. But one thing many people don't know, even those who live in San Francisco, is that San Francisco is actually named after St. Francis of Assisi. And St. Francis of Assisi was actually an early Christian leader who lived out his faith in such a way that James describes in this passage, by faith and action. And in fact, many of us, just like many people don't know where the origins of San Francisco came, even many of us here at church come to church in worship, but we're not fully aware of the style of worship that we have here at Imago Church. So Imago Church is actually a Protestant church. Some of you know what that is, some of you don't know, and that's okay. But really, what the style that we have, where we have a worship band and we sing some songs and then we take time to be in the word and then we close with some prayer and in worship again, that is a particular Christian worship style called Protestant Christianity. And, in, and that's really the rhythm that we go into. And many of us aren't even sure what that means and that's totally okay. You know, Protestant literally just means non-Catholic. Protestante o evangélico significa eh, tiene, tiene una gran historia de 500 años. And it's really just a different style of Christian worship. In fact, Protestant Christianity has a long history of over 500 years that traces back to many communities and many events, but to one specific figure who was a monk in Germany, and he was someone that broke away from the Catholic Church and actually protested against the Catholic Church with these 95 theses, these 95 challenges that he pinned up to this cathedral. So literally, what Martin Luther, who was this person who, who protested against the Catholic Church, that's literally what he did. He protested, and that's what, what, where the name Protestant came from. El, el, el nombre protestante uh, viene de Martín Lutero, que protestó contra la Iglesia Católica hace 500 años. And in fact, the biggest challenge that Martin Luther was really pinning up in those 95 theses over 500 years ago was the fact that we are saved by faith alone, not by works. And in fact, Martin Luther, he was quoting directly the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. En el libro de Efesios, en el capítulo 2, 8 al 9, nos dice que somos salvados por gracia, no por obras. And it says this, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But then... We read this passage in the book of James that sounds just a little bit different. And last week we talked about just some of the difference between Paul and James. And we see that Paul in that passage just says, not by works so that no one can boast. But then here James in chapter 2 verse 17 says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So one thing we need to admit 
is that this is a difficult passage. Este pasaje es un pasaje difícil de la Biblia. And it's a passage that maybe some preachers or some people want to just kind of ignore it altogether and avoid it altogether because there's this apparent tension in these two scriptures. And in fact, who we're just talking about, Martin Luther, that great historical church leader, he's famous for many, many things. But one thing that he's remembered for, which is not such a great thing, is that Martin Luther was someone who did not want the book of James in the Bible altogether. This section of James was actually a disruptive text to Martin Luther's theological thinking. And just so we're clear, we're talking about Martin Luther here, not to be confused with Martin Luther King Jr. King was someone who actually admired Martin Luther so much and took on his name. But here, James was actually disrupting the theological thinking that seems so clear to Martin Luther. And I can imagine, it probably made Martin Luther very nervous because James was throwing a wrench in Luther's well-oiled machine. He thought he had it figured out, the way that we can understand God and salvation and everything above. But then what do we see later on in Luther's life? is that God used the book of James to form Luther, who thought he knew everything, who thought he had all of the answers that was in his younger days. But then later in his life, he repented. He repented of his criticism of James. And he said this as an older man. And this is a direct quote from Martin Luther. He, says, he said this, as, a, as an elderly man, he said, Now I think highly of the book of James, although I rejected it in the earlier days. Martin Lutero se arrepentió sobre sus pensamientos sobre el libro de Santiago y aprendió algo nuevo de la sabiduría de Dios. So Martin Luther, admitting that he was wrong, that he learned something new, that's a very big deal. Just because, as I just explained, Luther was one of the most brilliant minds of the last 500 years. In fact, there was this uh, biography channel um, that came up with a list of the top 100 most influential people of the past 1,000 years. The top 100 people that have shaped the world that we live in today. And you guys want to know where Martin Luther came in that list? Martin Luther was in the top three most influential people of the past 1,000 years. He came in second place. He was only second to Gutenberg, who, who invented the printing press, and that's the reason that we have books and knowledge that we can pass on. But one of, of these most influential minds, Luther, who thought that he knew everything in his younger days, but then in his elderly days, as he grew older, he was able to learn and he was able to admit these three magical words, three magical words that are a sure sign that someone is walking in a life of wisdom. No, not the words, I love you. No, not the words, told you so. But Luther was able to boldly admit I was wrong. 
I was wrong about James. I didn't have all of the answers. And in fact, wisdom invites us to grow and to be teachable. La sabiduría de Dios nos invita a crecer y ser humildes y aprender más de las cosas de Dios. And we've been talking about the book of James as a new book of Proverbs in the New Testament. He was deeply influenced by the book of Proverbs, and we see this actually shine out. The Proverbs talk a lot about the wisdom of being teachable, the wisdom of receiving from others. Proverbs uh, chapter 19, verse 20, tells us this. Proverbios 19, 20, lo puede ver en su Biblia en español. But Proverbs 19, verse 20, says this. It says, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. And Proverbs 12, 15 continues in that and says that a wise person is teachable. It says, 12.15 says, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So what did James say last week in what we looked at in James chapter 1? James says the first practical step in living a life of wisdom, in living that wisdom of God that God has generously given to us, The first practical step, we see it in chapter 1, verse 17, says that we are to learn to be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. Remember, God gave us two ears and one mouth. Slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. La sabiduría nos invita a aprender, a escuchar y recibir el consejo. Wisdom invites us to grow and to be teachable, to seek and listen to advice from godly people. Not just getting advice from online blogs or from TV or from movies or from social media, but learning to get advice from godly people, people that have aligned their lives with the wisdom of God. So here's something very practical that wisdom invites us into. Wisdom invites us to grow and to be teachable, to seek and to learn, to listen to advice from godly people, even when that wise counsel makes us feel uncomfortable. Actually, let me repeat that. We are called to seek and listen to advice from godly people, especially when wise counsel makes us feel uncomfortable. Luther, who we've been talking about, Luther's entire life's work was being disrupted and challenged by the second chapter of James. Now, I don't know what that's like, to feel like all of your life's work is just about to crumble, But I can imagine what it's like. I actually don't have a PhD, but some of my best friends do. And I can think of uh, one of my friends, his name's Daniel, who uh, years ago, he was finishing up his PhD in chemistry, and he had five years to finish this dissertation, this, this PhD project that he was working on. And on the fourth year of his project, his entire theory had been disproven. So he had to start all over again. 
Those four years, that life's work, it just didn't matter anymore because someone disproved what he was working on. Luther, similarly, was fearful. He feared that his life's work would be challenged by James and he would need to start all over again. Lutero tenía el temor que el libro de Santiago iba a desprover su, sus ideas. And this actually made Luther very uncomfortable. This idea to need to start over again. Now, I know we can be hearing about history right now and we can think, well, I'm not sure how that applies to me. But actually, we know that this happens to us also. We know that sometimes fear leads us to pretend that the uncomfortable truths aren't there. We want to be able to shelve things and hope that it'll just go away. But then what happens? Reality and consequences continue to set in. And we see this here in this passage. So let's be clear about this. Just because something is uncomfortable, it does not mean that it is not from God. Let me repeat that for us. Just because something is uncomfortable, it does not mean that that is not from God. Because perhaps God is trying to teach us something new in the discomfort. Maybe God is trying to teach you something new in getting out of your comfort zone. Dios nos puede enseñar nuevas cosas, especialmente cuando no estamos confortables. And in fact, we see in the Bible that God's calling to people to go deeper with Him. We, in fact, we never see God calling people into a deeper relationship based on their comfort. He doesn't first ask, hold on, are, are you comfortable with this? Then follow me. No, He says, follow me. Just as you are, drop what you're doing. Follow me. Sígueme, nos dice el Señor. And in fact, here we see the scripture, the perfect example that James uses about what it means to follow God, no matter what, even in the discomfort. He talks about Abraham, Abraham, the father of faith, one of the first people in the history of salvation to respond and say yes to God, one of the first people who went without knowing he had no security, nothing was clear before him except the calling of God. And Abraham was not comfortable. And he says this in verses 21 to 23. If we can get the scripture up there in James chapter 2, verses 21 to 23, it says this. It says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. I want us to make sure to catch that very important point that James is making here in this passage. Abraham's discomfort actually leads to deeper friendship with God. God is in the work in the mess. God is in the work in the areas where we're not so comfortable. And in fact, here at Imago Church, aquí en Iglesia Imago, seguimos a Dios juntos en alabanza y en misión. 
here at Imago Church, um, as some of you may or may not know, but Imago means that we're created in the image of God. And God is forming and has formed this community to be a gospel-centered, multicultural community where hope is built through restored relationships with God and with each other. So Imago Church is a community and a place where we are all called to be equally comfortable in worship, but at the same time, we are all called to just be a little uncomfortable together. And that's exactly how it is meant to be. God calls us to be a little uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. I can be a little uncomfortable for the sake of the person taking their first steps in faith. And in fact, a sign of growing in wisdom and growing in spiritual maturity is, is being joyfully willing to be a little uncomfortable for my sister or my brother in Christ that's a sign of wisdom and growth. That's a sign, that's a guide toward deeper friendship with God is what James is saying here. And moving forward in James chapter 2, verses seven, verse 17, mirando uh, Santiago 2, uh, capítulo 2, versículo 17, James 2, 17, it says this, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So James here in this passage is reminding us that talk is cheap. That talk alone is not sufficient. Cheap faith will not cut it. But real faith is what Jesus calls us into. Real faith is an action of trusting and placing all of our weight down on, our, on the Lord. Real faith is surrender. It's giving my life and receiving the new life that God has for us. That's the action of real faith. Esa es la acción de la fe verdadera. In the book of James, we're actually invited to live by a faith that works. It's not just faith or works, but James invites us to go that next step, to live by a faith that works. Yes, we affirm that we are saved by the grace of God, and that same gracious God has invited us to live a faith that works, because it really does. Dios nos invita a vivir una fe auténtica, que vive. And we see this throughout the scriptures. We see examples of the people of God actually living out a faith that works. We see this great man of God, Joshua, who led the Israelites. It says in Joshua 1.11, then he's talking to God and God says to him, Joshua, you go to the land that I will give you. So God takes care of the outcome, but he invites Joshua into action, into living by a faith that works. 
We even see also in the Old Testament this mighty woman of God. Her name was Ruth. In Ruth chapter 1 verse 16, she's following her call. She's following God, going along with Naomi on this mission that they've been called to. And Ruth says this in chapter 1 verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Ruth lived by a faith that works, because it really does. And even in this so-called tension between James and Paul that we've been talking about the past couple of weeks, we see that that whole tension is actually resolved in the book of Ephesians, in the very next verse, if we can put it up, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then look at what Paul says in the very next verse. In verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So yes, friends, we are saved by grace to live by a faith that works. So James and Paul have the same goal, but they're arriving at that goal from different methods. They're trying to arrive at that same goal to spread the gospel, to spread this good news. But Paul, he's actually talking to people that are taking their first steps in faith, people that are hearing about God and the good news of God for the first time. But James here, he's actually talking to people who are taking their next steps with God. He's writing this letter to people who think that they know all of the right words and all of the right answers, and James actually disrupts that entire way of thinking. He disrupts that entire system. And in fact, that's something that we see that the wisdom of God does. Sometimes God disrupts our old ways of thinking in order to teach us something new. So if James invites us into a faith that works, then we need to ask ourselves, what's James warning about us here? What is a faith that doesn't work? And this is what we can see from this passage. First is this, real faith must lead to transformation, not just to tradition. La fe auténtica nos debe que llevar a la transformación, no solamente a la tradición. And secondly, transformation in character and in relationships, that's not just in how we look on the outside or in the nice religious words that we use on Sundays or that we like to post online or put on a bumper sticker. No, it goes deeper than that. And it is only the Holy Spirit that can bring about that transformation through a faith that works. So what else do we see here in this passage? Is that real faith refuses to be passive. Real faith refuses passivity. La fe auténtica no es pasiva. Toma acción. Real faith takes action. 
in loving God and in loving our neighbor. And one way that we as a church can do this together, we can take action, we can live by a faith that works, is by committing to coming on September 14th to this outreach that we're doing in downtown Visalia where we're going to try to reach out to youth and young adults. We're going to see new people come to the Lord, taking those first steps in faith. And we can all roll up our sleeves and be a part of that. There's going to be need to help set up, to tear down, to pray with some of these young people. So even us that aren't youth and young adults, we need to be there to support on that day. And right after service, Genevieve, our administrator, she's going to have a handout where you can sign up for that. That's a way that we as a church, it's an invitation to us to live a faith that works. Inviting others to hear the gospel, to hear about the grace and the goodness of God, which leads to transformation. So now, in conclusion, we've talked about a lot of very deep things today. A lot of deep topics. We've talked about the history of Christianity, We've talked about theology, and now we will end with a story that ties it all together. A story about fake Louis Vuitton handbags. <laughs> so just stick with me for a moment, and we'll see where God takes this, all right? So some of you know that I used to live in New Jersey. My wife and I lived there for several years, and we actually just lived about 45-minute drive to New York City. So we found out when we lived over there that we had all kinds of friends visiting us. Even friends that we didn't know we were that close to, but now they suddenly wanted to visit us. <laughs> and one thing that uh, we got to see during the years there is that it, it, it was really wonderful to be able to entertain and connect with guests. And one of our earliest visitors was actually one of Charlotte's friends, and we'll just call her Sheila. And Sheila actually lived up in Massachusetts over in Boston, but one day Sheila came to visit us, and it was really exciting. She, you know, we love her. She's wonderful. She's a close family friend of ours now, and one thing Charlotte knows about me that maybe you, you don't know is that I love being a tour guide. Like, that is a hobby that I'm just obsessed with. I love planning trips. It's one of my favorite hobbies. And, and in fact, I already have my plan after my retirement. As a senior citizen, I want to lead tours. In my 70s and 80s, Imago Church will be in good hands of a younger pastor, and I'm going to be leading tours around the world. You laugh, but you'll see. But Sheila comes to visit us. And of course, I have the entire plan ready, the entire touring plan. We have the itinerary ready. And the plan is, okay, first we're going to go to Times Square, and then we're going to go over to the Empire State Building. And then Sheila just interrupts me and says, you know what? Actually, Carlos, I have another idea. <laughs> I've heard that Chinatown in New York City has every high-end brand that you can think of. And she says, I've always wanted a Louis Vuitton handbag. They have the cheap knockoff brands, uh, Sheila explained to me, in Chinatown, New York City. 
And, you know, I was just looking at Sheila. Words were coming out of her mouth, but it wasn't making sense to me. I said, hold on, let me get this straight. So you want us to go to New York City to get a fake bag because you can't afford the real one? Like, it, it just didn't make sense to me. I'm sorry. I really don't mean to step on toes, but it really didn't. So then, you know, Charlotte just came to me and said, it's all right, relax, honey, let's just take her. That's fine. Okay, so we went and we got on the subway and I took, I, I took the three of us to Chinatown and we arrive and there they were, all of the affordable Louis Vuitton handbags. No, they weren't affordable, they were fake. They were fake Louis Vuitton bags. And you know what? I let Sheila just do her thing and I just waited somewhere because I'll be honest, I was panicking. I was super nervous. <laughs> and I was going through all these scenarios in my head. And I said, what in the world am I doing here? I just wanted to be a tour guide. I don't want to commit a crime. I don't want to be complicit in this. And I was going through all these scenarios. I was thinking, there's no way I'm getting busted because of some fake bag. And then eventually, Sheila came back to where we were waiting for her. And we didn't really talk much about it. You know, we just kind of moved on. And then we got on the subway and we, we went on with the fun things and the rest of the itinerary for the day. We had fun the rest of the day. But then afterwards, I actually read about this. I read about this whole thing about fake handbags. This whole thing that I actually didn't know was a thing until I got involved in the thing. And I read this article on how to tell the difference between a real Louis Vuitton handbag and the fake bag. And it said this. This was very interesting. It said the biggest difference was the inside stitching. It's what the bag is made of. The biggest difference, that's what made it authentic. So, handbags aside, it made me think. When it comes to faith, James is saying, do not settle for the cheap knockoff. A, do not settle for a cheap faith that looks good on the outside, but is completely fake and rotting on the inside. You were created for more. You are made for more. God invites you into the real thing, into real faith. Friends, brothers, sisters, you and I are saved by grace. And we're invited to live our lives by a faith that works. Because in this life, faith really does work. Let's pray together. Vamos a orar. Lord God, we give you all the glory, the honor, and praise this morning. Te damos la gloria, Dios Santo, esta mañana. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to live into this greater calling. To not just give in to, Lord, the fake stuff or keeping up the nice appearance, Lord. But would we go to the heart of the matter. That you would transform us beginning from the inside. 
and that everything else, Lord, on the outside could really come from that, from the new heart, the new mind that you have given us. Señor, te damos gracias y te pedimos que hoy nos llenes de, su, de, de tu sabiduría. Danos nuevos corazones, nuevas mentes para ser transformados. And Lord, we pray that today you would draw us close to you. Draw us closer to the living God. Build us up in your wisdom. And Lord, we're aware that some of us here are taking that first step today. And if that's you, that's the invitation. The invitation to take that first step into real faith. Some of us, it'll be our first step even with Jesus. Others, it's going to be that first step from the fake to the real. And today, we can do that. Today, right where you are, you can pray and you can say, Lord, I need you. God, I need you to forgive me. I need you to teach me, to heal me, to make my heart alive. God, today I give up on trusting in myself, on trusting in my own wisdom, and I put my life in your hands. God, today I choose to follow Jesus, your son, the one who gave himself for my sake. And Lord, thank you, Lord, for that freedom that we don't have to have all of the answers. We don't know everything, but we trust in a God who does have all of the answers, who does know everything and holds us in his hands. And today is that invitation to follow him, to pursue him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And for others today, this is a time where maybe you grew up in church, Maybe you know about the Bible, you know about this information, but it's time to take that step into real faith. And you can pray that today. You can say right where you are, you can say, God, forgive me. Help me today to take this journey from fear to faith, from fake faith to real faith, Lord. I'm done playing the game. I'm done putting on the facade today. I want to go deeper. Set us free, Lord, in Jesus Christ to be the people that we were created to be. Haznos las personas que nos creaste para ser, Señor, transformadas, llenas de tu sabiduría. Lord, teach us to be those new people that reflect Jesus. It's in his faithful name that we pray. Amen.